Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen, amen, and amen, church. I hope you're excited, and we'll have some additional information for you here in just a moment about what to expect in the coming days. But I think if you're like me, you've kind of fallen into this trap of almost forgetting what day it is, what week it is, what month it is, or in our case, what today and tomorrow represent. Uh, This is still Memorial Day weekend. And as such, we celebrate, we honor those that have paid the highest price for our freedoms. We have to remember that now we've had some additional people uh, added to that very long list of patriots, and they're in the form of doctors and nurses and scientists uh, that have, in the defense of us against this terrible virus, have also lost their lives. And so I think it would behoove us to to think maybe on them today and tomorrow as well. Church, we have to remember that there's a lot of good things that we can still be thankful for in this country. And I think it does a disservice to those freedoms when we become negative, divisive, when we get to that place to where we're simply shouting one another down and not remembering the goodness of the hand of the Lord upon us as a country. And I, for one, am grateful and want to do uh, all I can to encourage you at this time. Um, We're nearing the finish line, folks. And uh, I want to just remind you that there are many things that would still need to be done for us to hold service. We began two weeks ago uh, making plans to reopen the church, and we are largely prepared uh, should the governor give us the go-ahead tomorrow. But I also want to make sure that we're not premature, that we haven't acted uh, inappropriately. And some of the things that people often forget is that it is not simply uh, just permission to do things that are given uh, by our president. And and I would remind you again, our president does not have the legal authority uh, to command the states to reopen and to do many of the things that some of you believe we should be doing right now. Uh, That's why we have a system of government that has three branches, and that's why we are in a republic that is federalist, and the states remain in power to a large degree with the matters of health and safety. And so once the governor speaks tomorrow, uh, we'll finalize those plans, and we will be uh, very fluid with letting you know what's going on. Uh, We are anticipating there is a great possibility that we may be having service next weekend, Uh, We are not certain yet, so don't get your hopes so high up that they're dashed if something happens. Uh, But please do pray that the governor releases us from our bondage uh, tomorrow during that press conferences and gives us some guidelines that we can abide by, and we will make every effort uh, to make sure that God's house is open soon. Uh, So please be in prayer for us as leadership here in the church, and especially for our governor, that he would not put Uh, restrictions on the church that should not be there. And we we pray that he will not do that. And so please pray for him and for our state governor 
his office and his, his counselors as well. If you turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 7, I will pick up in verse 18, and we're actually uh, looking back towards the faith of John the Baptist, but we're really going to focus in on verses 36 to 50. But as John the Baptist gave his life and faith, as he surrendered his life, much like we thank those that have given their lives on our behalf, John gave his life for the gospel, and Jesus now is going to live out the gospel uh, in the lives of two people. And they're very different in their perspective. The first one that we see is so obvious that perhaps you're in that category of people uh, that when you look at this woman, when you think about who she is, you might say, well, my goodness, you know, certainly the grace of God would not extend to her. I mean, she's up there in that category of those uh, top 25 sins that, you know, somebody could commit uh, that would put them outside of the grace of God. Now, we're not told exactly what her sinful behavior is, but we're given some clues in this passage. And because of the roles of women during the uh, early days of the church and the gospel going out, it's almost assuredly that her problem was sexual sin or morality. She was super sinful in that sense. In fact, her her moniker in town, she would have been known as that woman. She clearly had a problem. And so we're so quick to look at the sins of others and ignore her own sins, that this passage really kind of reflects back on those who take that position. Maybe you're one of them. Scripture, let's face it, is replete with lists of sin. All kinds of them. And if you were to look in 1 Corinthians 6 or Romans chapter 1 or Galatians chapter 5, you're going to find these massive lists of sins. Things that the Bible clearly says the children of God should not be engaged in. And so as we dig into this passage, I'm going to ask you to consider your own self right now. If you know the Lord, are you being honest about your own sinfulness? And if you don't know the Lord, are you being honest about your own need for forgiveness of something that maybe you don't believe you have? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we first want to lift up those who are suffering today on this Memorial Day weekend with the loss of a loved one that's defended our freedoms. We thank you for the sacrifice of those who have made it possible for us to be free. And Lord, we pray for the people of Hong Kong who uh, today are being pressed in on by the Chinese government, losing their freedoms. For those that we know that are ministering there, uh, that are losing, Lord, their homes, are, are being kicked out of their places of worship. God, we ask that you'd be their defense and their strong tower. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give us a right attitude in these times to remember that we are still a blessed people. And Lord, help us to not be like the Pharisee in our story, someone who can look right at someone and not see the good in them, not see the beauty of your created identity that we all have as creations in Christ. And so, Lord, adjust in us what needs to be adjusted. Bless us with your presence by your Holy Spirit. Wherever we are in the world, on whatever device we're watching on, 
Father, we look forward to the day when we can gather together physically in, in this place. But until then, would your Holy Spirit bind us together with a threefold cord of love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, speak to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, if you're not understanding of who you are, then you might look at these lists in Scripture of sins, and you might be tempted to kind of put a dot and a number in front of them. But I want you to notice that there are no ordinal numbers in these lists. So if you look at them later, you're not going to see that, say, adultery is number one, or fornication is number five, or homosexuality is number one, and drunkenness is number four. You're not going to see that. They're simply separated by commas. And the reason for that in Scripture is that all sin, any sin, every sin, has the potential to separate you from God if it goes unforgiven. If you take it with you to heaven's door, if you haven't asked for God's grace to cover that sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you would be forced to pay for your own sin. You would need to try and justify yourself. And the fact of the matter is, you can't, you won't, and you would perish for the attempt. And so Jesus is going to minister in this environment. You see, many of us are kind of like these two examples. We have our sinometer. And for this lady, your, your sinometer may have gone off with 666. She's got to be the worst of the worst. She, she's probably of the Antichrist. And the truth of the matter is, very often we look at ourselves as though we are white and clean and sinless, and we look at others as though they're the ones that are infected with sin. And the truth of the matter is, all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. And the only righteousness that we have in our account as believers is the righteousness that Christ himself has placed there when he died on Calvary's cross and we accepted the payment for our sins to be paid by him. Father God now looks at your sin and says it's paid. We have been justified. The righteous demands of the law have been met. And so because of that, we've been freed. But make no mistake, church, you are still a sinner. You're a saved sinner by grace through faith, but you're still a sinner. You're still not perfect. You still think things you shouldn't think. You still do things you shouldn't do. You still have an old sin nature that is very alive at times, and you are capable of following that sin nature apart from the work of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and righteousness. And so be very careful that you do not become what this Pharisee represents, which is a hypocrite that looks at others first and says, well, at least I'm not like her. I mean, she's really super sinful. You see, that makes grace the great equalizer in every one of our lives. Many people in this world do look at others and they go, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm better than so-and-so. I may have problems, but I don't have problems like that person has. 
listen to how this story begins. Verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So Jesus is coming back from having spent time raising the widow of Nain's son, speaking life into people, healing their diseases, preaching the sermon on the mount, speaking forth the Beatitudes. And when he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, you see, Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was a teacher. And and while the Pharisees persecuted him, they still understood that he understood things that they didn't understand. And so probably this Pharisee was trying to entrap Jesus. He sat down to eat and behold a woman in the city. Uh, Now I hope you're not known with this moniker, who was a sinner. So great was her sin that everyone in the town knew it. She, she lived in the same place that used to be the television show Peyton Place. It was pretty clear she was messed up. It was pretty clear her life had been a life lived in the flesh. A woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. You see, she was about to come in contact with the great grace of Jesus, which is a tremendous equalizer in everyone's life. Now, let me be very clear here. Sin has grave consequences to both the person who sins and to the person who is affected by the sins of others. And some sins are far more serious than others in that regard. But all sins are equal in the eternal damnation that comes from them being unforgiven. If you have not had your sins forgiven, if you were to take even one and try and approach heaven's door, you're not getting in. And so in the eternal sense, both the Pharisee and the woman had the same problem. Now, the woman may have had more temporal problems. Her reputation was ruined. The Pharisee was highly esteemed. But in the picture that we have here, this is about where do you stand according to the righteousness of the Holy One, of God, of the King of Heaven. And we all fall short of God's glory in that regard. Now, some may fall more short than others. But that's not the issue. The issue is, are you short or are you saved? Have you seen the grace of God and the need for it? You see, Jesus answers the dilemma that is faced by both the Pharisee and this woman. And it's really easy to take up the Pharisee's position, thinking we're better than the really sinful folks. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate L.A. traffic. I absolutely despise it. But can I tell you, I'm absolutely looking forward to being stuck on the 405. And I'm, I'm looking at people sometimes as they drive, and I think, man, they've got a real issue. And there are some people that we all universally condemn, child molesters, people who produce pornography, thieves, murderers. You probably have a top 10 in that sense. You know, those people are really rotten. And this little story, which is found only here in Luke's gospel, illustrates a point for us. You have two people 
they have the same problem. Two people, same problem. One is a super sinful woman, almost assuredly a prostitute. And the other is a person whose soul is sick, this scornful Pharisee, an inhospitable rabbi. And you're probably going, well, I'm taking the rabbi. You know, I'm not going to hang out. That's where grace comes in. Church, that's where grace comes in for all of us. And you better hope and believe that grace is available to the super sinful. And you better hope and believe that it's available for those of you who maybe you're spiritually proud. Perhaps you're a legalist and you think that you do better than everyone else with regard to the things of the Bible. I I say to you, you need to listen and listen well. Because your righteous deeds that you do on this earth are no more capable of assuring your entrance into heaven than this woman's deeds were so bad that Jesus would turn his back on her. And so it illustrates a point. It's not about the magnitude of our sin. It's about the magnitude of his grace. It's about the beauty of his mercy. Jesus has the same love for this horribly sinful woman that he has for Simon the hypocrite. The same love for lost people that brought him from heaven still looked at Simon, who was probably after him, trying to destroy his character. He still loved Simon, too. But Simon said, you know, I'm not going to treat you with any respect. He doesn't wash his face. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't anoint him with oil. But this woman takes out this alabaster flask. And so let's look at these two needy people. There are two people, and they have exactly the same need. You see, Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus is also the Savior of super sinful people. And Jesus is the Savior of super scornful people. Jesus is the Savior of the brute beast, the bitter bungler, the prostitute, and the proud person. It doesn't matter where you are. If you don't have Christ, you don't have salvation. And you can't have Christ by works. It comes by faith and faith alone in him. And so when 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, he's being long-suffering with this Pharisee. He's not willing that any should perish. How many, church? Any, none. He doesn't want anyone to perish but that all should come to repentance. And so as he looks at the sinful woman and he looks at the scornful Pharisee, he says, I want you both to get to know me and to confess me as Savior. But the works of the Pharisee are going to keep this Pharisee from coming to Christ. And the broken sinfulness of this woman is going to be the very thing that opens the door to salvation. She's going to recognize her need. And that's always the problem for us. If I can't see my need, I won't look for the Savior. And so we see this needy, repentant woman. That's why the Pharisee asked, hey, you want to come in and eat? 
That's why the, the difference between that and the woman who breaks out the, the oil and now verse 38, notice what it says. And as she brings out this flask of oil, she stood behind his, at his feet behind him weeping. Now think about this. He's laying on his side. He curled up his feet. They're off to behind him. This woman is afraid that someone else will look on her with scorn. You see, we're not told what the Pharisee's thinking, but you're probably right in thinking he's looking at her like every other man looked at her. She was likely a a beautiful woman. And her morals were less than acceptable by the morality of the Jewish culture. But the Pharisee's going, yeah, she's a mess. But boy, I'd sure like to be a mess with her. Isn't it atrocious how many times we'll condemn condemn some sin in someone else's life and then at the same time desire that same sin? Be careful. Because this woman understood her sin. She stays behind Jesus. She doesn't want to offend. She knows she's unworthy. She is, she's not going to step in front she, she's going to stay, and she, she begins to wash his feet with her tears, wipes them with the hair of her head. Then she kisses his feet. Now, just so you know, these are the things that a great host would do for everyone. When someone came to your house, you would wash their feet. You would greet them with a kiss, and you would offer them your best. And this woman does this even though she knows that she doesn't have any right to approach this man who obviously is different than she is. Do you see the great grace? On one hand, you have a person who thinks he's important, who thinks he's already holy. On the other hand, you have a, a woman who's at a banquet she's not even invited to. And during that day and time, you could have just walked into almost any situation like this. It wasn't like there were locked doors. It was likely outside, held in a courtyard. And Jewish rabbis didn't even speak to women in public. They, they didn't eat with them in public. And so this rabbi's out of his mind. With, you know, it's like, oh man, she's a mess. But she was the right kind of mess. She was the mess that knew that she needed Jesus. It's a great word for us today. I know her sins aren't named. It's almost assured that this woman was from the wrong side of town. She, She lived a life that she wasn't proud of. She got involved in things she shouldn't have gotten involved in. And I think it's important that we don't confuse this with one that we're going to see very shortly in chapter eight, and that's Mary Magdalene. This is not the same story nor should we confuse it with John 12 and Mary of Bethany. But this woman absolutely was a sinner, but she gives evidence that she's also a repentant sinner. You see, what's going on in her life is beginning to prove exactly what's going on in her heart. She got it. She understood it. As she arrives at Simon's house, she opens the door and she seizes her opportunity to confess, look, I'm in trouble. 
This alabaster flask was likely filled with perfume, very expensive. Probably reserved for things that we shouldn't discuss. And she says, I'm done. I'm not going back to my old life anymore. I refuse to use this, which cost much, to sin any longer. The very concept that the Apostle Paul would teach us in the book of Romans. She was going to prove with her life that there was a change that went on in her heart. That she had believed in the Lord Jesus. Now make no mistake, Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the head and the heart of both. And he could have exposed Simon. He could have lit him up like a Christmas tree. But he let him ponder and think. And you might be saying to yourself, well, God's never really confronted me on my sin. That's because God is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. God is gracious and kind. And sometimes he allows us to go through all kinds of things. It's not his will for us. But if he forces us to love him, then one would have to say, does he really love us at all? And so Jesus is allowing the Pharisee to think for himself. He's allowing his choices to be real. But now let's look at this very blind, critical host. Verse 39, and now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, now notice who he spoke to. He's not speaking out loud. He's thinking in his heart. And this is super important to this study. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. Basically, he's saying she's a woman of the streets. No real prophet would ever be anywhere near somebody like her. Now, he didn't say it out loud. It's what was going through his mind. And Jesus answered, even though he didn't say it out loud. He spoke to himself, maybe under his breath, but it's highly likely he just thought these things deeply and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon immediately perking up. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. I love this. Jesus speaks in a parable. He says, let's break this down a little bit. Let's move away from what you think is a massive problem. And let's talk about something else. Let's get you involved in the story. One owed 500 denarii. That would be 500 days wages or roughly a year and a half. And the other 50, a little over a month and a half. And so one owns a year, owes a year and a half debt. The other owes a month and a half's debt. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will him will love him more? Simon thanks. Answered and said to him, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. (laughs) You see, to whom much is forgiven, 
that one is much loved. Now, it doesn't mean that someone who's forgiven less is loved less. It just simply means that God is so great that he can love the most super sinful person that you know. And maybe that person is you. Simon, I think, was embarrassed that this woman actually showed up at his house. You know, people have been saying that Jesus is a prophet. You see, Simon's problem was that he was blind. He was completely unaware of his own sin. He was so focused on someone else. He got out the sinometer and he started going around the room, metaphorically speaking. He's like, man, it's going off on this woman. The problem was he didn't turn it around and point it at himself. He didn't check his own sinfulness because it would have lit up on him too, just differently. You see, this parable doesn't deal with the amount of sin in a person's life. It deals with the awareness of sin in a person's life. The Bible clearly states that all have sinned. Look, Simon and the woman were both sinners. While the woman was guilty of sins of the flesh, Simon was guilty of sins of the mind. And I want to say to you, while the consequences of fleshly action can often be greater than those things you think, don't think for a moment that God doesn't understand where your head's at. What's going on with you inside of your thinking, your mind? Her sins were known in that sense. Simon's sins were hidden. That's why you've often heard me say the bitter person has just as much a problem with God as the adulterer. The hateful person has just as much problem with God as the person who's a thief. Do you understand? It's not about the amount. It's about awareness. Do you know that you were a sinner? Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as this woman was. He just didn't realize it. And so here, this grace gift is being offered to the legalist. And the legalist is saying, no, I don't need it. I'm already so much better than she is. Why would I need that? And I love how the Lord doesn't attack Simon. Because he loves Simon too. You know, I, I got to admit, if I was in that situation, I'm not sure I would have withheld myself. I probably would have ripped into him. I probably would have said something I, I would have regretted later. But I want you to notice something about how the Lord sees our hearts and not just our actions. Simon hadn't given any water for Jesus' feet, but the woman had produced the water from her own body to wash Jesus' feet by her tears. The woman had given everything she had to say, I'm sorry, by dumping that flask of oil on Jesus. She was all in, and Simon didn't care to even address his own condition. So be careful about your self-proposed righteousness that you speak to others. You see, Simon's works proved what was in his heart, and the woman's works proved what was in her heart. They were both living out what they actually believed. 
The woman was ready to receive grace and mercy by faith. And Simon said, I deserve grace and mercy because I do good things. By the works of the flesh, the apostle Paul said, is no one justified. Now I want you to see as we wrap this up, this supremely forgiving savior, church, focus on this. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, he turned to the woman, but made sure that Simon could hear what was being said. He looked right at the woman and was believing that Simon would hear the words that he'd speak. Do you see this woman? And Simon's going, well, you, you, you're asking her if you see this woman? That's kind of crazy. That's because those words were for Simon. I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet. Speaking to Simon, he's saying, look, she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Not just olive oil, fragrant oil, mixed with the blossoms of flowers, very costly. And therefore I say to you, her sins, which admittedly are many, they're a whole bunch, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, so he's looking at the woman, talking to Simon. He's speaking to both of them. He's like, Simon, you need to listen up. You know, I'm going to talk to her basically face to face, but you ought to listen to this. These words are for you. Here they come. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why is that important? Because it wasn't just the works. It was not just what she did. She was a living example of what the Bible plainly declares through the author James, there in James chapter 2. She was living out her faith by doing those things which indicate she knew who she was, she knew who Jesus was, and she knew what she should do in light of that. You see, the woman was guilty of sins of commission. She had done all kinds of things. Simon was guilty of the sins of omission. He had not done what is right. So they both, in that sense, were even sinning in, in, in this moment. There are things that she had just done that were fresh in her mind. And here Simon is basically saying, I don't need this faith thing. I mean, I go to the synagogue and pray. I celebrate Shabbat. I never walk more than 1,500 feet on the Sabbath. I never break any of the traditions of my fathers. I've been to Jerusalem and celebrated Passover. And on and on and on he went with all of his holiness. You see, the truth of the matter is God does love the whole world. He does desire for the whole world to be saved. He has made that offer of grace through the gospel and for by grace you've been saved and through faith. And that 
is not of yourself. It's a gift. God gives us the gift of faith so that we can believe. This woman accepted the gift of faith, believed, and Jesus poured out his grace on her. That's the word for you. That's the word for me. That's the word for us. I'm not saved by my works plus faith. I'm saved by faith that leads to works. Those works will authenticate the faith that I already had when I believed. I'm just expressing what's already happened in my heart, what's already going on inside. That's why James would say faith without works is dead, that he would go on to then clarify that and saying, I'll show you my faith by my works. What I do should match up with what I profess. And my actions and attitudes ought to indicate that I'm a child of God. This woman could say, look, I'm doing exactly what you would expect someone who recognizes that they are a sinner to do for the Savior. I love you, Lord, and here's everything I have. What a beautiful picture of God's grace being poured out to every last one of us. There are so many verses in the Bible about forgiveness, and there are some uh, that you can pull up here in Isaiah 1 and Ephesians 4, Romans 4, Hebrews chapter 8. You could go on a search for forgiveness. You're going to find out it's one of the main themes of the Bible. But once you understand the meaning of God's grace, you don't have any trouble whatsoever receiving it for free because you recognize that you can't earn it yourself. Simon thought he could earn it. Don't fall into that trap. Basically, Jesus was again saying he's God because notice the question, well, who can forgive sins? Well, the answer is only God. And so while he doesn't directly say that, he is making a claim that only God could make. Jesus is God. And it won't be long before Jesus dies for those sins which he has just forgiven in this woman's life, paying the price. But in this moment, just like Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, exactly as the book of Hebrews declares, so this woman in this moment was receiving God's grace. What a beautiful picture this chapter is throughout the entirety of it, but very specifically here. So how was this woman saved? She repented of her sins. He said, I'm dumping out the perfume that I would use to attract those men, I'm giving up the old life and I'm starting a new life right now. Now, we're not told how perfectly she did that, but we know what she did. She put her faith in Jesus. She said, look, I believe. She was repentant. She wept over her sin. That's why she was crying. She knew her life needed to change, and she was willing to let the Lord change it. She had the assurance of the words of Jesus. Notice what she's relying on here. How did she know? Jesus said so. And he is God. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's Emmanuel. He's God incarnate. What was the proof of her salvation? She lived a different life immediately. Now, you might be saying, well, do I have to have? No. 
We don't know exactly how complete all of this was in her life, but we do know that there was an instantaneous change. That she moved from being okay with her sin to not being okay with her sin. She was devoted to Jesus. And that's why he says to her, look at the end of this, go in peace. So when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, which was a great miracle, a greater miracle, raising the widow's son there in name. But really, if you want to look at this chapter in its totality, the greatest miracle is saving this woman from her sins. Because if he had raised up that widow's son and he died without believing on the only begotten son of God, he would still be dead eternally. If that centurion servant had not known the Lord and confessed his sin and been saved, he would have still died eternally. But this woman, the greatest miracle is the grace of God. The greatest miracle in my life and the greatest miracle in your life is the grace of God which saves us from our sin. Given to us by the gift of faith, that's the great miracle. You see, God could solve this COVID-19 dilemma, this pandemic. He could instantaneously wipe out that virus, but people would still die from something else. People might die from the regular flu or maybe the emphysema they already had or the heart disease or whatever. You see, the greatest problem man faces is the problem of where we're going to spend eternity. By grace and through faith, that can be in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord Jesus. If you're trusting in yourself, it's not going to go so good. There's a story that illustrates these two people, and it comes from a session of the Pennsylvania Eastern District Court. There were two men that were found guilty, six indictments against them. Their names were James Porter and George Wilson. Both were, address, were arrested for mail theft and fraud, jeopardizing the life of a mail carrier. And oddly enough, during the trial, James Porter was found guilty and hanged. There were some interesting pieces of information brought forth in the trial, and so they stayed the execution of George Wilson. He was found guilty of judicial leniency. President Andrew Jackson offered George Wilson a full pardon, but insanely, he refused to accept it. The authorities were so puzzled in the Pennsylvania district courts, well, what do we do now? Do we have to hang him? Should we free him? This finally went to the Supreme Court of the United States and Chief Justice John Marshall handed down this decision. A pardon is actually a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. And if it is refused, then there is no pardon. Thereby, George Wilson must be hanged. You see, this Pharisee hung himself. He refused to pardon. This woman accepted the pardon and was freed. And that is a choice today that we all have. And I pray you don't choose to be hanged. I pray you choose to rest and trust in the Lord Jesus. 
because he's offering grace to all who will receive it. And so church, as you think on your life, especially on this Memorial Day weekend, there are certain things that we have by right and privilege in this country, but no one sees heaven without the grace of God. And so if you really are struggling right now with your place in this world, your place in eternity, there's no greater decision than to decide to follow Christ. You can refuse it. God's grace is available to you and we have pastors that are waiting online right now to pray with you, to share the gospel with you, the good news that Christ has died for you and you can be freed from your sin just as this woman was freed or you can keep what you already have. So if you don't know the Lord and you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I I want to know this Jesus, please use that button on the live stream screen or call our church office. The information's there on our website, ccsouthbay.org. Get to know Jesus because he wants to forgive much so you can love much so that we can all love much, especially as the world needs that love more than ever right now. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't turn away the pardon. Jesus loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your only son into this world to pay the price for our sin, that you, Jesus, would come and love us so magnificently by offering up your life in our place, paying the price for our sin, taking your Father's wrath that was due on our lives because of that sin and paying the full price of it, satisfying the righteous demands of the law, justifying us by faith. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray for those that are listening, wherever they are right now, that in the quietness of their heart, if they have not yet confessed their sin, and invited you, Jesus, into their life, that today for them would be the day of salvation, that they would say yes to that offer of faith, that they would believe on your name and be saved and walk in your marvelous grace. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Lord, please this week help us to be able to come back to church in a meaningful way. We look forward to seeing one another's faces, even if they have to have a little bit of a mask for a while. Lord, to be able to fellowship with the saints would be a true joy. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.